This is Stripe Speak, the podcast for officials by officials. So, this is episode one of Stripe Speak. Uh, for the one person out there in the Podbean world that has listened to the little test uh, snippet that I put out there, we appreciate your view. Um, my name is Joey Garrison. I'm one of the hosts of Stripe Speak. The other one is not here. He may be here every once in a while, but that's to be determined. Uh, but today we're going to have our first guest. Um, before I introduce him, just give you a little synopsis of what this is. Basically, it's if you guys remember the Facebook page uh, that was Humans of New York, this is basically that in relation to officials. Uh, we have a lot of podcasts that go over rules, go over mechanics, etc. This basically is just diving down into the personalities of officials, um, diving into what they've enjoyed about it, how they got into it, and basically just being a reflection that uh, we're not robots as we sometimes appear, uh, especially when we start talking about rules and mechanics. Sometimes we can just get a little uh, little robotic there. So with that being said, uh, I'm happy to introduce our first guest. Uh, he hails from Harrisonburg, Virginia, uh, home of the Dukes up at James Madison. Uh, he is a high school football official. Uh, we actually used to work on Friday nights together. He's a high school baseball umpire, uh, also a high school basketball official. Um, and the big thing for him is he is an NCAA D2 and D3 women's basketball official. And in this show, we are going to only discuss his basketball ventures. Um, so with that, uh, we have John Coram on with us. Thanks, Joey. I am very happy to be here with you, brother. Appreciate it, man. It's uh, You should be honored to be the first ever guest on the show. There are well, that's a big deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's millions and millions of people that were reaching out to me that uh, that were striving to be number one, and here we are. And and the fact that you chose me, it's I'm I'm sitting here feeling very honored and uh, privileged to be your first guest in what we hope to be a uh, a pretty uh, popular podcast. Yeah, I mean that'd be awesome. You know, at the end of the day, I I think we discuss this even if it's just. Myself and the person that I'm interviewing getting something out of it, that's better than nothing. Um, and I think selfishly, each person I talk to, I want to be able to gather something from that I can apply to either my game at, at the football level or the basketball level or just something I can take into my personal life. So, you know, whether it's one or a million, we'll, uh, we'll get something out of it. And you got to start somewhere and, you know, make a small ripple and see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. So, with that being said, uh, we'll, we'll just kind of dive in here. Again, this is this is about basketball. John's a NCAA basketball official. Um, I guess just the first thing is, previous to your officiating experience, what kind of basketball knowledge or playing or IQ did you have? I would say my basketball IQ um, was – pretty average, maybe a little bit below average. Um, I think it all goes back to uh, my fourth grade year um, back at Fort Miami Elementary School in uh, in Toledo or in Maumee, Ohio. Um, fourth grade, we, we when I was there, we established the first elementary school teams among the four elementary schools in my town, and uh, I was wow. lucky to be, uh, I was lucky to make the cut and get on the team, so we all played each other in our little hometown, and there were some big moments, um, some things that definitely impacted me and 
the one thing I remember specifically is one of the guys from one of our rival schools hit a buzzer beater to win a game against us, and he ran around the court and took his shirt off and uh, celebrated like I, I guess any fourth grader would do. Um, but that image, that image is still burned in my mind for some reason. But that's where it all started, fourth and fifth grade, uh, sixth and eighth grade, sixth through eighth grade. I still played scholastically for my middle school. Um, shout out to the St. Joe's Carpenters. Um, and when I got to high school, went to St. John's Jesuit High School, the private school in Toledo, which is, uh, private schools are kind of the cream of the crop up there. That's where everyone from the greater Toledo areas goes if they want to advance there. Um, academic and athletic careers. Uh, tried out for my high school basketball team freshman year. Um, I think there were two days of tryouts. I don't even know if I made it to the second day. Um, it could have been that I was wearing a homemade jersey with a name on the back of it that read slow-mo, um, <laughs> or it could be that uh, they they evaluated my playing ability and said, yeah, we're not, not really into this uh, this little chunky guy, so don't worry about coming back tomorrow. Um, wow. So for once I got cut from the high school team, I had to uh, had to revert to the CYO, which is a Catholic youth organization. Played that uh, at or for my four years in high school and had a great time. It was pretty low stakes. Uh, show up on Sunday mornings after church and play your game and get out of there. So um, that was a lot of fun. And honestly, since then it's been all um, recreational. Um, I consider myself. A, a generational passer of the basketball. Sure. Um, yeah. I, you know, Joe, you've played with me before. You know that I'm a, I'm definitely a driving dish kind of guy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really creating shots for my teammates. Um, the thing that frustrates me the most when I'm playing is when I'm being a bad teammate, meaning taking stupid shots or throwing dumb passes. Sure. Um, so that's, that's kind of my goal when I'm playing these days. And I still play about three times a week. We, um, have the luxury of uh, noon ball here with uh, there's probably about 30 uh, faculty and staff members here at JMU that get together on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and we play uh, basketball from about noon to about one. Um, wow. So still playing quite a bit, and honestly, those games out there I think are probably higher stakes than anything I've played in my career. So. Okay. Um, I'm really, really at the peak of my playing career right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so a couple, couple of questions stemming off that. Before I get to the questions, uh, you claim to be a passer, but I know for a fact there's a YouTube video out there of you hitting a buzzer beater. Uh, so don't give yeah. your credit, don't give yourself credit just as a passer because that was a pretty clutch moment for you. Uh, and I'll link that into the show notes so all of our, uh, listeners can check that out because it's a pretty cool moment. Um, <laughs> And then, so two questions that I have. Number one, when when your elementary school decided to start playing, uh, like, in a league, did that get rid of any kind of recreational league that was in the area, or was it just a small select group of schools that decided to do this? Yeah, well, I, so growing up in my hometown, Maumee, um, there were only four elementary schools. So anything recreational would have gone through – either the YMCA or um, the the rec center itself. And the rec center did have uh, programming. They did have youth basketball leagues, but I've never ventured into any of that because I wasn't born into a basketball family. I wasn't raised on the basketball court aside from just um, shooting in the backyard. Um, so 
it didn't replace recreational leagues, um, but it was like, from what I understood at my highly developed fourth grade perspective, um, the elementary schools decided, hey, we need a scholastic sports program, so let's start with basketball and see where it goes. And it was pretty successful. Okay. That's awesome. That, I mean, I know you spent some time down here, and that's just not something that's that's really common around these parts um, in terms of elementary schools getting into the the scholastic athletic uh, genre of the world. And yeah. as, as you know, the, the recreational leagues down here are probably too serious um, to a fault. And anyways, we won't go down that path. Uh, and that, that goes that goes for anywhere that I've been, at least. Um, the the level of uh, investment energy that adults put into youth rec sports um, is good in some ways because they are developing young people and teaching them transferable skills. Um, hopefully, or at least in theory. <laughs> yeah, um, but as we yeah, as we've seen with some of the recre- recreational things we work sometimes that gets off track and um that's not only true in that area it's true up here in virginia and anywhere else i've been so right um one of those things that i feel like is getting away from us and if we don't get a handle on it it's only going to get worse yeah um but also one of those things that you feel like you can't really control but on a small scale right and we'll circle back to that uh towards the end i don't think i sent that one to you but i'm going to ask you a couple questions about that um Second question, and uh, then we'll we'll move forward. Um, as you before you started started officiating, uh, so I guess in your elementary and your middle school and your high school days, and I guess the very beginning of your time uh, in college, uh, were officials ever ever anything that you noticed? Uh, did you ever get angry, upset with them, or did you ever see your teammates, coaches, uh, parents in the stands getting upset with them and just kind of wonder about it? Were, were the officials ever at the front of your mind during your playing time? Uh, they they were never at the front of my mind, but I, I have two moments that come to mind here um, in terms of relating my experiences as a player and as a person to a, a focus on officials. Uh, the first one is um, after a nine-year-old baseball game. Um, I played a lot of baseball growing up. Uh, that was my main sport as a kid. And after a nine-year-old baseball game, um, I struck out looking pretty late in the game. Um, it was pretty impactful on the game, and we ended up losing. And, you know, as a kid, you start to feel like um, it's a result of that. You losing the game as a result of that strikeout. Um, and uh, furthermore, I, as a nine-year-old, I didn't think that was a strike that I should have been called, and I had a problem with it. And I, I threw a little fit in the dugout um, and after the game and this has this has stuck with me even into my officiating career um, and my professional career too but remember after the game in the car um, dad had a little talk with me about um, the fit that I threw and um, I was a little bit of a hothead up until this point uh, in general but he um, you should lose with grace and the one thing he said to me that stuck with me for the rest of my baseball career and any sports I played that involved officials was um, instead of blaming the umpires on something that happened that didn't go your way, instead of making a scene and, you know, voicing your disagreement to an umpire, 
do everything you can to make friends with the umpire because, and we know this isn't true now, but at nine years old, this made a lot of sense to me, because when that 50-50 play happens, if the umpire likes you, there's a better chance of that call going your way. Wow. And, yeah, as a nine-year-old, that, like, it it kind of opened my eyes to, well, I should I should probably treat these people with respect and try to make them my friends to get them on my side. Because <laughs> um, there's only there's only two sides in this game, and the umpire has to pick a side. So I want them to pick my side. Oh. Um, so that that moment right there stood out to me in terms of how I should create relationships with officials when I'm playing. Um, and honestly, I mean, clearly I haven't forgotten that. It's it stuck with me ever since uh, that day. So that's one right. moment. The other moment that um, sticks out to me in terms of officials and focus on officials in a competition was when my mother who was a high school basketball coach before I was born um, and then she was the coach for my sister's middle school game as we were coming up through middle school uh, she got tossed from a CYO game as a head coach <laughs> because um, she was berating this official who effectively you know was a child um, right I think he was a high school kid or something like that, but he wasn't having what she was doing. He hit her with a technical foul early in the game for uh, the feedback she was giving him, and then she got a second one later in the game and got ejected. And I remember watching it thinking how embarrassed I was that, that my mom just got tossed from a game. Um, and, you know, part of you, part of your competitive mind um, says, you know, did she deserve that? Should she have been tossed? Was that guy just – a meanie, um, but regardless, I remember the discomfort I felt from seeing Bomb act in an unsportsmanlike way, get ejected from a church game, um, and that stuck with me too. So as, as I went up through playing basketball on those, you know, those rudimentary levels that I played, I don't think I focused much on officials. Um, okay. I think it was very much it was it was much more about. Um, playing the game and controlling what you can control. And I think that all came from the lesson my, my dad instilled in me as a nine-year-old. Yeah, sure. It's uh, kind of weird how, uh, and this is a sidetrack, that uh, anything that's church-related with sports, uh, especially with basketball, seems to bring out the uh, the best in some people. But, yeah, anyways, uh, so moving into your officiating, uh, I kind of know your background, but uh, – if you don't mind, just kind of tell people how, you know, how your start started and uh, where that was and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, well, it did start with basketball, um, which uh, kind of makes sense. As I think back now, it makes sense that basketball was my favorite sport to officiate because that's how it started. But, um, yeah, that, uh, that moment was my freshman year at Ohio University in 2007. Uh, sometime late in the fall quarter, I walked into um, the Ping Rec Center, uh, which is where all of our recreational uh, department was held at OU. And I was coming in to, um, just to play pickup ball, I think. We, we had a pretty good game that went at 3 o'clock every afternoon there. Um, and as I walked in and swiped my ID to get into the building, there was a, a little quarter sheet on the desk there that said um, – looking for a job or need a job, something to that effect. And it had a little, like, clip art picture of a basketball referee on it. And it said, Intramural Sports is looking for basketball officials. Um, 
and I didn't have an on-campus job or any job for that matter. And surprisingly, the money that I saved up for my freshman year was running pretty thin, even late (laughs) fall quarter. Um, (laughs) So I was like, that'd be kind of a cool way to get some income. I I like to play basketball. I like to watch it. Um, I could probably referee it. You know, it can't be that hard. So um, showed up to the first training um, and got trained to officiate. And honestly, for my first two years, um, I wasn't that invested in it. It was just something that I did a couple nights a week um, to earn some some money to spend on, you know, any activity that I wanted to take the liberty and spending it on. Um, And it was a good time. It was fun being in that sports atmosphere with people who um, were kind of looking to get the same things out of it that that I was. And I was the only one from my group of friends who did this. Um, And looking back, I was probably the only one who had the courage to do it. Um, because there were a couple guys in my group of friends who always talked about, yeah, I'm going to come out and referee next year, or I'm going to come out and do softball with you next year. And they never did it. They never pulled the trigger. Um, so it was kind of like my, you know, you, if you go to college or you go to any kind of um, like post-secondary education, um, you develop a group of friends there if you're, if you're fortunate enough. And I did. And, this was my thing that was separate from them. So it was like, I got my friends, I got my schoolwork. Um, and I also have this other thing I'm involved with where there's a whole different circle of people. There's a different, um, social aspect to it. So it was kind of a cool outlet for me for those first couple of years, but I wasn't that into it. I wasn't into, you know, breaking down plays when I, when I got evaluated at, at halftime and after games by more experienced officials, I kind of took the feedback and tried to learn what I could to get by, but, um, was never really focused on getting better and doing it intentionally right. um, until the third year. But my first two years, when I looked at how our experienced officials looked, how they were super sharp and really intentional about the way they moved on the floor and when they're reporting to the table, everything looks clean and strong. My perception in my first two years in college were those guys are just huge nerds. Um, they're just, yeah, absolute referee nerds who can't play the game so they referee um and then in my third year there was something that changed in my perspective where i started to think actually you know what that looks pretty cool um i want to try to be cool out here on the court and not do too many nerdy signals um but that third year my junior year for some reason my mindset flipped and i was like i kind of want to get into this um so once I started to actually work, you know, I looked forward. I officiated other stuff with intramural sports, but I really looked forward to basketball season. Um, and once that third basketball season came around with intramural sports, I was um, really pumped up about it, really wanted to get good. Um, and then that was when I actually picked up um, high school ball was in my junior year in 2009. Um, started to see the appeal in it heard how much you get paid for a freshman JV game and as a college student. I was like, well, that's way better than intramural sports. Do you remember how much um, that was at the time? I think at the time it was probably somewhere around $35. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot compared to, you know, I've got intramural background as well. It's a lot more than what we were getting paid for, for those intramural games, several of them a night. Yeah. And I mean, you know, intramural sports officials are hourly employees often, and right. I think, we, you know, we started at minimum wage. I think we were making 
um, five twenty-five an hour um, there. So, you know, you go in for a two or three game shift, you make between ten and fifteen bucks, um, and you know, for, to see that doubled to go out and do a freshman or JV game, um, it was really appealing to me money-wise. And there was a, I was really lucky to be at Ohio um, at a time when there was a really strong officiating culture there. Right. Um, flag football, basketball, they were turning out really successful and really strong officials. Um, and I kind of came in at the tail end of that and was lucky to be a part of that culture that already existed. Sure. Um, and, you know, even though I saw them as nerds, once I started to get into it and become a nerd myself, um, it was extremely fruitful. And, you know, when I joined the High School Basketball Association, there were like eight other students from our program that did it too. So wow. it, was some, it was something that our people were doing, and it was like a pipeline, and um, and I was into it. That's awesome. So where where have you come from that point to, to where you're at today? Uh, let's see. So um, I remember it was I – did, I did five years of undergrad. Um, shout out to the victory lap. And um, so for those last three years of college, um, of undergrad, I worked high school ball. Um, no varsity action. Um, thankfully, in Ohio, there are three levels in high school. It's freshman, JV, and varsity. Right. Um, so I, I worked a lot of freshman, JV, doubleheaders, um, some eighth grade doubleheaders. Um, that kind of thing. So that's where I started. Uh, I, I went to one uh, NURSA regional tournament at the University of Dayton in 2011, which okay. was probably the highest level of ball I'd worked up to that point. Um, and just for, for the listeners who aren't familiar with NURSA, it's the um, governing body for our collegiate recreation field. Um, and they host these regional tournaments for flag football and basketball that bring teams from institutions all over the area. Um, and they bring student officials from those institutions as well. And it's an opportunity for teams to play um, other teams of similar caliber. And it's an opportunity for, they treat it like an officials camp um, for the officials. And uh, you go in and there's a, there's a rules clinic before the tournament starts. And throughout the tournament, there's plenty of evaluation, feedback, teaching, training, um, film breakdown. And it's really impactful, um, and you know that we support those things pretty heavily. Yeah, um, and, and we always have. And, and for anybody listening that doesn't understand the the quality uh, of these events that are put on, I mean, it's it's really high level. Uh, the play is really high level. The officiating is really high level, and the training, like John was just talking about, is very high level. It's much more than I think most people would understand. Um, just in the realm outside of officiating. Yeah, 100%. And um, so with that regional tournament in, in UD in 2011 um, at the University of Dayton, uh, there are two things I remember specifically in addition to the training. The first one is officiating related. The second one is school pride related. But uh, the first one, they did a lottery for um, – they had like eight camp scholarships to hand out to the, the crew of 24 officials. Um, so you put your name into – um, a hat, they draw eight names, and those eight people get scholarships to some kind of basketball officiating camp. Um, remember, I was walking by the table that had that. I was with um, my our professional staff member at the time, Nick Brigatti, um, and he, as we were walking by the table, I just kept walking, and 
He stopped me. He put his hand on my chest. He pointed at the paper, and he said, do not pass this up. <laughs> and I said, I forgot you. I don't know what you're talking about, but you're giving me an order here, so I'm going to respect this. <laughs> um, yep. So I, I put my name in the hat, and I got drawn for a scholarship to Bill X Camp um, in Akron. It was in June of 2011. Um, and that camp was a Big Ten men's NCAA tryout camp. Um, wow. The and, and I got a free ride to it. It was a value of like 420 bucks or something like that. Um, yeah, and here I am, this student who's three years into his career, never seen any varsity high school basketball, and I'm at an NCAA – I'm at a Big Ten tryout camp. So I remember feeling extremely out of water because I was. Um, and I remember um, I got evaluated by Teddy Valentine, um, one of my first games. And <laughs> at halftime, I don't know if you know anything about Teddy or if, if anyone oh, yeah. who's going to be listening does. TV but Ted. Um, yeah, he's a he's a he's a dramatic dude. He's he's really animated, um, very intense, very energetic. Um, but obviously, he's had a really successful officiating absolutely. run. Um, yeah, absolutely. And he's a good dude. Um, if you get to know him, he's a good dude. But anyway, he evaluated me at halftime, and he comes out to our crew at the, on the floor, and he looks at my other two partners who are clearly trying out for the Big Ten, and he looks at me, and he goes, you haven't been doing this long, have you? I said, no, sir. Uh, this is my – I just finished my third season of high school ball. He goes, yeah, I can tell because you're not that good at it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I thought – Oh my goodness! Do I really want to do this? And Joey, you've had a similar experience. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, but but that was the first moment that I was actually cut down. And um, you know, everyone has different feedback techniques, but um, that one made me feel like, you know what? Looking around here, I'm not that good at this. Um, but looking around, I kind of also want to be as good as these people around me. Right. Um, so that was a pretty impactful moment. And that was that all came from just going to that regional tournament, getting out of my comfort zone, and um, it was a cool opportunity that came from it. So, cool lesson there. But the other moment I remember from the UD regional tournament was, I don't know if you remember Ohio University's uh, couple of years in the NCAA tournament, uh, the men's team. Yeah. Um, the, the year before, we had beaten Georgetown in the 5-12 game in the first round. Um, so, in this year, in 2011, we started out by, let's see, we beat Michigan in the first round. Then we beat South Florida in the round of 32. Um, and then in, no, I'm sorry, we beat Michigan. And then in the round of 32, we were playing, nope, let me, re, let me backtrack. I had it right. Michigan, USF, and then we played North Carolina in the Sweet 16. And as I signed up for that um, that raffle drawing, yeah. um, the reason I was walking by the table and my attention was not on officiating was because there were like three minutes left and there were lead changes the whole time between North Carolina and OU. So I was heading straight for the TV to watch it. And I remember um, in the last few seconds of the game, Walter Offit, an OU player, gets fouled, goes to the line, um, to tie the game, and he hits his first free throw, misses his second one, and we lose to North Carolina by one point. 
Wow. So that was the other moment I remember from that. It was, <laughs> that was kind of a big deal to us. <laughs> yeah. Especially being at that school. I mean, they've got a, they've got a lot of basketball pride at Dayton alone. So being able to get that moment while you're there, I mean, yeah, that's to it. That's the atmosphere. Okay. Yeah. So cool. what about so, from that? What about from that, that sole regional that she did at the nursery level, which, um, well, first off, how was the quality of play in that compared to the sub varsity stuff and the intramural stuff you had done at OU? Uh, it was extremely elevated in my mind. I thought, um, I thought it was, uh, extremely fast, extremely athletic play, both on the men's and women's sides. Um, they had intramural teams and club teams there. And, uh, I had to be somewhere in the, the bottom third of the quality of officials there because I felt like I was out of water, you know? Um, and it felt like the level of play was above my competence. Um, so it was, I guess that whole year was pretty eye opening for me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> From the UD regional and then the Big Ten camp, that was, there was a lot of things that I learned about the officiating world that I had no clue existed out there. Sure. So from that, how did you transition to the, the varsity for, for high school? Uh, yeah. So, um, in, I, I kept up with high school basketball for the 2011, 2012 academic year. Um, still didn't see any varsity action, but, um, was, was getting enough games to keep working on my craft. Um, and then once I graduated from OU, went down to the University of West Georgia, for a graduate assistantship, uh, which is where we met. Yep. Um, and in my first year there, I joined the Atlanta Area Basketball Officials Association, um, which you are now a member of, which is <laughs> I am. very exciting to me. Um, I, for 2012-2013, it was all sub-varsity for me. Um, JV games, basically between Douglasville and Marietta, I guess. Um, some of them out in Carrollton. Uh, and that was a whole year of sub varsity. And that was when I started to feel like I was ready for varsity games. Um, I think I even had some hope in the end of the season that I might get a varsity game kind of on the way out. Right. Um, but, but didn't get on the varsity floor that year. Uh, in 2013, 2014, that was when I saw my first varsity action. Um, and it was, uh, the end of the season, it was at, uh, Carrollton Central, um, and I, I wish I remember who I worked with. I remember one partner, but I don't remember the other one. Um, but I was super nervous for that because right. it was my first first varsity action, and I don't remember it being a competitive game. But um, you know, we, we worked the girls' game and then worked the boys' game, and um, I survived it. And then I think I got two more varsity games after that year, and then fourteen fifteen was when I got. Uh, a full varsity schedule from the association. So, um, I told that was actually, a, I remember going to your first game, which was, which was nerve wracking for me because I knew you were nervous about it. Yeah, super nervous. Um, and I, I, as any good assigner will do, they put me with a really strong crew to kind of just, you know, throw me out there and say, hey, it's time to learn from these guys. Right. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the progression of it. I, I think, I really didn't start working hard off the court until I got down there for grad school. Um, right. Because you, me, um, our professional staff were trying to build an officiating culture within our program. Um, and that was when 
the passion really kind of lit up for me in terms of officiating was when I got to teach you all as students and I got to work with um, our professional staff who were also passionate about officiating. Um, and that's when I started to realize, you know, you can't, well, you can just show up and do games, but you're not going to get anything out of it and you're not going to get any better. So right. um, you got to do the work off the court. You have to study rules. You have to watch film. You have to do mirror work to work on your signals. And that was where I feel like my development really accelerated as an official was the three years I spent down there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I guess transition from high school game to, to college game. Yeah, um, I started, I think, in my second year with the high school association. Um, there were colleagues in the field of collegiate rec um, in the state of Georgia who I got close with, some in Florida, some in Alabama, um, and some in North Carolina. Um, I got started to kind of work my way into those circles, and then those people started getting into college conferences. So that's when I started to think, um, I think this is something I want to do for real. Um, I want to break into the college game and um, start to kind of make another career out of it. So that's when I was inspired. And um, I had thoughts in my last year of grad school of trying out for the junior college conference uh, on the men's side in Georgia. Sure. Um, but I had a feeling that I wasn't going to be um, in Carrollton or in Georgia for more than the rest of that year because the nature of our field and collegiate rec is we move around a lot. And in order to move up, you got to move out. So I decided to stay, um, stay away from the college stuff, finish my grad school. Um, and then I got the job here at JMU in July of 2015, started here in August. And as I started that first academic year here, that's when I kind of set my eyes on, um, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try out for, um, a college conference here and you know I know I'm going to be here for a few years so um I want to give it a shot and the way that happened was uh first year here 2015-2016 I worked high school ball um had a really good season uh ended up working a girls state quarterfinal um in 2016 which was a really cool opportunity especially for your first year in an area yeah um and that summer I went to um the referee's choice officiating camp in June in um it was at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. And it's run by Roger Ayers and Mike Eads. Um two guys really at the top of their craft on the NCAA men's side. Right. Um learned a whole lot at that camp about not only officiating but about working off the floor, about um how to conduct yourself as an official and um the learned a lot about the social aspects of it. I learned a lot about um, the the trajectory on like how it works and how you break into the game and how you move up and how you stay up. So um, that's when things really started to take hold for me. And I remember and I went into that camp with the um, purpose of asking Mike and Roger and some of their other clinicians to tell me whether I should go NCAA men's or NCAA women's um, because I felt like I was ready or pretty close to ready, but I didn't know which side I wanted to go. And you know that when you make that choice in basketball, once you pick a side, it's really hard to cross over. Right. Um, 
from one side to the other, but more so from the other side to one side. So um, those conversations were cool because uh, I approached Roger. I saw him off to the side of the court, um, and I said, all right, it was the second day. I said, all right, you've seen me work a little bit. Um, you've gotten to know me a little bit. Can you tell me whether I should go men's or women's when I try to break into the college game? His answer was basically, um, look at you and look at me. Um, we're about the same. I just have better hair. Um, and that was true. He does. And uh, he said, if you can call plays, they will find you and they will hire you. And I said, okay, well, um, that doesn't really help at all, but thanks for <laughs> thanks for the feedback. I appreciate it. Um, and then later that day, I went to Mike asking the same question, and Mike said, what is your ultimate goal? What's your end goal? And I said to get into a major Division One conference and stay there. And he said, okay, um, how about this? Do you want to wait behind hundreds of other people or thousands of other people? I said, well, hundreds. He said, go women's then. And I said, why is that? He said, because for some reason people at large have this stigma that women's basketball is not as good as men's basketball. Um, that stigma exists and also TV exists. And TV, as we know, covers men's basketball much more than women's basketball. And officials who are moving up the ladder, some of them may have the motive of being in that big game on TV, Duke, North Carolina, on a Wednesday night. So just just to interject for a second, um, I I don't like having TV games, um, no matter the sport, just because of how long it drags everything out. But that's a that's a sidebar there. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, but you know, when you're getting ready to go into the game, we not only do most officials not know that about TV games, but most people don't know that about TV games. It's a very different experience for us. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and we would rather you know, have the game for the sake of the game, and, and that's what we're there for. But right. um, that conversation with Mike really helped me start to um, kind of develop a strong set of values as it pertained to officiating into life, really, um, because I thought, well, I don't really have the desire to be in the big TV game, um, you know, with the entire nation watching. I just want to um, – work good ball with good people and keep moving up. Um, so ultimately chose the women's side. I went to um, the Old Dominion Athletic Conference women's camp a month later, I think. And uh, the cool thing about Mike and Rogers camp is when you attend that, uh, as you're leaving, they say, let me know what camps you're going to this summer. Um, I will put in a good word for you with the coordinator of that conference, which I don't know this, but I infer that when Mike Eads or Roger Ayers calls a Division Three or Division II assigner and says, hey, you should take a look at this guy, it probably comes with some weight to it. Yeah, so I would say so. Um, yeah, so that uh, was a big part in paving the way for me. And um, I went into the, the ODAC camp with the – mindset of okay i've heard from everyone that the first year you go to a camp they don't hire you but you got to do that first year and come back the second year and you might have a shot um so that was my mindset going in so honestly pretty low pressure for me you know i was like i'm 
not working to get picked up here. I'm just working to um, get my name on the radar of that coordinator um, and get some exposure in front of her. And then when I come back next year, hopefully she has some ideas of hiring me. Um, so had a really good camp. Um, I think the low pressure really helped me relax and just work my game. Um, and I think at lunch on Friday of camp, which was the second day, the coordinator gave us a little speech about um, what happens if you get hired, um, what are the next steps and all that. And I remember the phrase she said was, if I'm going to hire you, I'll send you an email later this week. So don't worry about um, hearing from me at the end of the camp. So that even took more pressure off of me. I was like, well, cool. Like, I'm just going to go out and work these games and um, come back next year and hopefully get on get on her staff. Right. Well, Saturday, the last day of camp, I'm saying goodbye to everybody, all the, the new people I've met, the new friends I've made, and some friends that I've, I've known from the collegiate rec world. Um, and <laughs> – she, I'm putting my shoes on because I remember we played tap out. Uh, which have you ever heard of tap out? Is it uh, is it kind of like uh, bust? What's bust? Uh, that may not be what it's called. Man, it's been a long time. Uh, basically, where you have one person shoot and the next person try, or knockout, I guess. Oh, uh, okay, knockout. No, no, it's not that. Um, tap out is specific to officials. Um, Okay. I don't know who made the I don't know who made this game up, but every year I've been back to the ODAT camp, we've played this game and it's so much fun. Basically you have the entire set of campers hanging out on one basketball court. There are three officials working on the floor, and if you pick out something that an official does wrong on the floor, you tell the clinician, the clinician approves it, and you go tap them out. And the goal is to stay on the floor for as long as possible. Holy crap. That sounds uh yeah. sounds like there's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure because of how many eyes are watching you, but um, so much fun. Like, the way people treated it was pretty playful. Um, some people were competitive, but it's also a cool way to learn because you learn things you're doing that you didn't know you were doing. Um, so right. that that we had just got done playing tap out, and she comes and sits down next to me, and I say, hey, you know, how's it going? And I start to <laughs> go into the thanks for everything and, um, this is a really cool camp. I learned a lot, blah, blah, blah. And she kind of cuts me off and she goes, I'm going to add you to the staff. And I was like, uh, whoa, thanks. Like, <laughs> this is awesome. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I'm pretty sure I fumbled over my words a little bit. Um, but I walked out of that facility on cloud nine. It was like, called my mom, um, went home, went home and like told my roommate with such elation. And my roommate was like, you go to camps for this and you know <laughs> so <laughs> i was i was so so excited and uh I, I don't think anyone could match the excitement but that was um that was my break into the college game um and in my first year in the odac i think i got six games um which i was told to expect between four and six so i was like hey it's on the high end i'm a good yeah. um I remember working my first ODAT game. Uh, I think I was nervous the whole week. Um, it was coming up on a – it was a Tuesday night. We were going down to Randolph College in Lynchburg. And I remember I rode with a partner who was from Harrisonburg, which was cool because we got to ride down together, and I got to bounce some things off of him and make sure that I was extra prepared. Um, and still, when I hit that floor, I, I'm pretty sure – 
I didn't blow my whistle in the first period. Um, whether that's because I didn't have anything or because I was basically soiling my pants, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it remains to be seen. But uh, I remember being so nervous, but the, the crew I was with, extremely supportive and helpful, and um, they kind of picked up my slack and brought me along. But six games in the first season. Uh, second season, I got nine, which was an improvement. I was really excited about it. Um, and then in the third season, which was last year, I ended up getting a total of 17 games from her. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at um, in terms of my college career. It's still pretty young, um, but it's uh, the, the goal for me is just to keep that amount of games increasing every year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so at this point, you've had a you've had a pretty good. I guess, start to where you want to be. Um, can you recall what the, the biggest game that you worked was and and why it was so big? Yeah. Um, when you sent me this, I I didn't have to think long about it. And the, the answer might surprise you, but I'll tell you why. Um, the first big game I remember working was an intramural men's competitive game at OU um, in my freshman year. So this is my first season on a basketball court in stripes. And it was, wow. yeah, I forget which night it was, but it was a men's competitive game, and it was between the Ping Legends and the 94 Dream Team. And these two teams were um, legacies pretty much. They, It was, you know how those intramural teams get together. There's like an inception, and then the group just sustains and, even when people leave, they load more in and they load more in and oh, yeah. they have this kind of dynasty going. Um, right. So these were two of those teams. And me and my buddy, um, Ian, who I'm still really good friends with, um, we <clears throat> are on the court. We worked the first game. That was nothing nothing really to remember. But then we saw these two teams walk in and we saw their names on the score sheet and we're like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> us two freshmen in our first year of basketball do not belong on this court. Can we switch with someone? Does someone over there want to come over here and work this game? Because um, we're terrified. And we're supposed to have a three-person crew, but our third official didn't show up. Um, oh, so gracious. Yeah, so we're like, we're, like, we're going to work this thing with a two-person crew. These guys are all over six foot, and they can play. Like, we are, we are way out of our league here. Um, so as we're – looking at that and basically like holding each other's hands, trying to brace ourselves. Um, our GA at the time comes walking in who you have a relationship with Todd Thomas. Um, oh yeah. He, he comes walking into the gym, looking around, just checking out programming for the night and uh, sees that we have two officials over there, sees what two teams it is. And he goes, hold on a second. Let me go get my stuff. So <laughs> Todd goes and gets, gets his stripes, gets his shoes he takes us into the storage closet. He tell, we, we tell both teams, hey, we're going to get this game started a little late. Give us a few minutes to chat. He takes us into the storage closet and gives us the most intense pregame discussion that I may have, have ever had to date. Um, he basically was like, he, he was like, all right, you two, you know how big of a game this is. You know these two teams. And he just talked through about a 10-minute, like, speedy pregame about how we're going to handle this. And I remember when that ball went up, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so nervous. If I screw up, I'm I'm going to get run out of this gym. Um, and that's the 
the first big game I remember working. And it's um, there was one moment in that game where Todd stopped the game, um, basically told both teams to cut the crap because there was a lot of um, talking going back and forth. Um, and then shortly after that, I remember I called a foul. And as I was walking to the table, I was switching with Ian, who was at trail. And as we're walking each other, I see his eyes get big. And I see him signal a technical foul. He hits his whistle and, and whacks one of the players who apparently had done something behind my back as I was walking away from him. Um, of course. So, yeah, super intense game. Um, and I remember being so exhausted after that. I went home and told my roommates about it. And they were like, yeah, so what? Like, God, you, you, don't have, you don't have any clue how big of a deal this was. Like, it was extremely nerve-wracking. And they're like, dude, it's in real basketball. I'm like, all right, this is going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy how even, you know, with intramurals, people just don't understand how big of a deal it really can be. Yeah, and especially to, I mean, any level, any game, it matters so much to the stakeholders, the people involved. Right, yeah, um, absolutely. And, like, you know, it doesn't matter what level it is, but you can't treat any game like this is a throwaway game. You, you, exactly. What you're doing as an official, you're serving the players, you're serving the coaches. And that that was just one – I mean, intramurals itself is a good way to learn that, you know, these students come out and play this game for one hour a week. It's A lot of them look forward to that hour. Um, yeah. And we better, we better give them our best effort. Right. And I, and I think you know this just from discussions we've had in the past. It's something, at least with football, um, you know, I, I have a set crew, and each week we, we treat that game as the championship game because in reality, you know, the game that's at Team A's field against Team B, that's the that's the championship game of that night on that field, so we've got to treat it as such. Um, yep. And I, think, and I think you would agree that that, like you were just saying, that applies to – you know, basketball as well. Whatever two teams are playing on the court at that time, that's the biggest game there is. Yeah, and there's going to be a there's going to be a winner who triumphs, and there's going to be a loser who kind of has to lick their wounds. So, right. Um, and another thing that that I heard at some point along my career is it doesn't matter if someone's paying you fifty cents to work a game, um, if you're being paid for that service, you're a professional, and you should act that way. Right. All right. Well, we'll start. We'll start tailing it off uh, here in the next few minutes. Um, quick question that I did not prepare you for: uh, Have you ever have you ever talked to anybody from a game? Uh, any sport? Uh, yeah, we'll go. We'll go wide open. Any sport? Okay. Um, well, that uh that mess we had in youth football. Um, down there that I, I think you know what I'm referring to. That resulted in ejection, right? Uh, is this the one where we ended up having to wait for the police? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, I thought there were, there were two unsportsmanlike conduct fouls and an ejection in that one. Yeah, there was. Um, uh, so that's so, that's one, and that, that was more you than me, but I uh, had to back. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I would love to be able to tell people about that, but that's just, there's nothing positive that comes out of that whole scenario. Yeah, uh, yeah well, we reminisce about that maybe, you know, once or twice a year, so. Um, so, but, okay, yeah, well, what, what, let's just, let's stick with basketball for you. Okay, uh, basketball, uh, there are two that I remember. So are you talking about 
me and my crew or me individually? I, I say you individually. Individually, the answer is no. Okay. I I have never been the one to um, to eject somebody from a basketball game. Um, I've been a contributor in that, like, I've issued the first technical foul of what what ends up being two. Um, right. I have, um, and then the other one that sticks out was ejecting a coach that, uh, in terms of me on the crew, I didn't have anything to do with it. Um, but yeah, that was that was in an eighth grade game when I was in uh, Ohio. Um, some weird stuff that happened at the end of the eighth grade game. Coach ends up getting whacked twice by my partner, and he got tossed. But the other one that I contributed to was actually back in intramural ball. Um, the let's see, I'll, I'll just tell you the whole story. Um, we had the starting quarterback for the football team, um, and some of his buddies had a team. And uh, there was a play wherein he got off on a fast break, had a defender trailing, um, and there, he tried to stop in front of the defender, and their feet got tangled up, and he went to the floor, and the ball went out of bounds. Um, and he stood up, looked at me, who I was at center, um, on the other side of the floor, and I don't know how he knew that's that's my call. I don't know how he knows that the center covers the floor, uh, sideline to sideline, three-point line to three-point line in transition. But he looked at me, and he, he gave me a couple of choice words um, that basically were asking if I was kidding him. Um, and the choice, the choice words that he used resulted in me issuing him a technical foul. Um, after I issued him a technical foul, he looked, turned to my partner. My partner was laughing, which is not his choice. Um, my partner was laughing, and he walked at him and chest bumped him. Um, so that partner um, gave him a technical foul and tossed him. And I think he had to be, like, restrained and walked out of the gym. Um, but those are the only two ejections that come to mind. So if there's another one that's happened somewhere along my career, I don't remember it for some reason. Wow. Okay. And I'll, I'll kind of parlay that with a comment that was made earlier. Um, it's in regards to fans, um, you know, it, you mentioned earlier, if we're not careful, we're gonna, we're really gonna lose control of it. Um, and I'm sure that games that you've had at all levels, you know, you've probably had issues with fans. I know the one incident you brought up from our football, football, uh, rendezvous with some youth ball that, uh, there was a really, really big issue with fans that game. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the question I have for you, um, as more people are starting to become aware, of these things as we've I'm sure you've seen there was a flag football or there was a youth football league that temporarily got shut down because the officials were like all right no more we're not doing this anymore um yep are, are there any things that you think that officials can do to help with the uh the growing issue of fans being unruly and threatening and all that kind of stuff let's see uh my my pie in the sky answer to that is I would love to see officials take more responsibility in holding fans accountable of their actions and removing fans when um, they are behaving in a way that is making a travesty of the game or the atmosphere. Sure. That's my pie in the sky answer. But when you try to put yourself into that situation and make it practical, um, it's hard to do. It's hard for 
for so many reasons, it's hard for me to say, let me turn my attention away from this game, which is my responsibility, to this individual who's not involved in the game, is just, just happens to be in proximity to the game, and let me issue a penalty or some kind of consequence to that person for the way they're behaving that actually has no bearing on what's happening between the lines. Right. Um, so it's, it, for me, at least for me individually, it's hard for me to give that answer and say, that's what I'm going to go do because I know I probably won't. Right. Um, I, it's, I mean, there are some rules, especially in basketball that give us jurisdiction to handle that stuff. Right. And, I do like to think that if something got so out of hand that I would be forced to invoke that rule or sorry, forced to enforce that rule that I would probably do it. Um, but I think in most situations I'm ignoring them. Um, so the pie in the sky answer is that we take more responsibility and we hold people accountable for the way they behave. But I don't know if that's practical. It's more of a theory that would just be really nice. Um, Practical answer is, um, I think, at least with scholastic games, um, we have to create relationships with athletic directors and or game management and get them to support us when their fans or visiting fans are acting out like that. Sure. Um, in our area here with, with high school and college stuff, um, some – Game management people are really strong in that area, and some are not very strong to a point where you almost feel like it's apathetic and you're on your own out there. Right. Um, but I think that's one thing that could lead to just more people being invested in protecting the, like, sanctity of the game. Like, you know, we're talking about – in most cases, we're talking about youth sports. We're talking about kids playing sports and – you know, the National Federation of High Schools markets high school sports as a co-curricular activity wherein students are learning life skills, transferable skills that are necessary for um, for their growth and development. And the, you know, you take that on a macro level, and it sounds really good. And if that permeated all the way through down to the micro level of these games we go into, in our local areas, um, that would be really cool. But oftentimes we see that kind of set aside for the sake of competition or rivalry or domination or intimidation. Um, and a lot of that probably stems from uh, what we see up the chain, especially yeah. on the professional sport level. Yeah, absolutely. I'd so in terms of what we can do as officials, I don't think I have a good answer. Um, that could be practical and something that we could go start doing, you know, tonight. Right. I guess from my perspective and, you know, when I first started officiating, I was pretty irrational. I, I think you know that. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I think that it's, it's come to a point for me now that if it's distracting myself from working a game or if it's distracting someone on my crew from working their best game, um, I think that's at the point where I'm like, all right, I'm going to put everything on hold out here, you know, because we have the ability to stop everything if we need to and take care of that. That way we can refocus and and gather back in on what we're doing. Because one thing I've noticed is if one person gets distracted because someone is um, unruly or they're out of control or they're being threatening or anything like that, if that person comes out of focus, all of a sudden it's not just them. It's, it's all of us. So 
it's better to go ahead and eradicate that problem for that one person so that we're all not hurt by it. But right. anyways, I could go on for days about that kind of stuff. Um, so I guess last few things here. Um, so you mentioned earlier your goal is to, to get to a major NCAA conference. Uh, is there a certain okay. one that you want to get into? Uh, yeah, I think um, my my ultimate goal is the ACC. Um, and part of that, I, I don't know if that's really a conscious choice that I've made. It's just a product of the area I live in and the circles that I now run in in terms of officiating because the ODAC, um, you know, from what I've learned, this could this might not be true outside of my little bubble in the world, but from what I've learned, um, there is often a pipeline of coordinators and conferences on the official yeah. side. So what I've learned here is that the ACC um, has a pipeline that goes down to on the Division II level, it's like Conference Carolinas, um, Mountain East Conference, um, CIAA, um, a lot of East Coast and Southeast um, Division II and Division III conferences. Right. A lot of those coordinators have strong relationships with the coordinator of the ACC. So what the ACC is doing is looking at those conferences and hoping that those conferences are grooming their officials to eventually get to that level. So um, I think that is a big part of why I've kind of set my eyes on that. Um, and I, 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 just for the sake of the quality of um, women's ball in the SEC, I would love to work in that conference eventually too. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's a lot, of, a lot of really good teams, a lot of cool history in that conference with women's basketball. Sure. So uh, is there is there a certain – matchup that you would love to have that you would you would say is the pinnacle of your career or a certain game say be it the the national championship game is there is there a certain game that you would say i've worked this game everything i've worked for you know led up to this point uh i don't i don't think there is that game i don't think that game exists in my mind um or that day exists in my mind because um Frankly, I don't want to get to a point in my career to say, okay, this is the top. Because right. once you say this is the top, there's only one way to go from there. Um, yes, you're so, right. That's a good point. Yeah, so I don't I don't really look at any opportunity or moment that says that is the top of the mountain, mountain that I'm trying to get to. And when I get there, it's going to be so satisfying. Um, it's almost like I look at each season and each game as just, like, man, it's cool to be here. Like, right. you know, our our schedules come out for the season next week for the two conferences I work in, and I'm so excited. Like, October is is kind of Christmas for me when it comes to NCAA basketball because once that schedule comes out, you see um, partners, you see dates, you see games, you see facilities, and you're just like, let's go. You know, this I'm I'm ready to get this season started. I'm ready for – that game to kick it off. I'm ready for that crew because those are two of my good friends who I'm going to work with, and it's going to be a blast. Um, so I think in terms of career, big picture, um, I think I just want to stay kind of in the moment and try to go – it's kind of cliche, but it's, it's cliche because it's true – try to go game by game and make sure that we're not looking past anything and that we're really enjoying those those opportunities that we get. Yeah, that's – 
that's awesome. That's a mind frame that that I guess I hadn't really thought about. So that's that's awesome. Um, what are your goals for for this season? This season, um, I I'm in a new space in the conferences I work in um, because I had uh, I went back to the camps for each conference this summer and um, got really good feedback from both coordinators and they told me to expect my schedule to increase and expect to get some leadership opportunities on some crews. Um, so I've already had a few Saturdays come out that um, that they published. I got a couple of referee assignments. Um, so it's kind of a new season for me in that regard. You know, I'm three years into NCAA basketball, feeling really comfortable with rules and mechanics for the first time. Um, for my first three years, there were things that we would talk about in pregame, and I'd go, oh, man. What is that? Okay, I got to make sure I know that. Um, but last year was the first year that I felt like, you know, I I, I got this. I know this stuff, and um, I'm I feel like I'm getting a lot more comfortable with it and a lot better at it. So this year is a new step because I get to be a referee. I get to run some pregames. Um, I get to have those leadership opportunities among the crew and among the game. So um, I'm really, the, in terms of a goal. It's just the goal is to be a good referee for my partners, um, try to make sure that we set ourselves up for success, make sure that we do things the right way, the way our coordinators and the way then Subway wants us to do things, um, and really just not have any uh, post-game calls from coordinators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good goal to have. Uh, or post-game so guess- calls to coordinators. <laughs> <laughs> too soon uh so i guess the the way we'll wrap this up uh we'll try to do this each time we do one of these um what's the the best officiating nugget whether it be advice or quote or you know anything statement uh what's the best officiating nugget that you've received from somebody since you started officiating okay so i think there are better ones than this i think this is just the best one that i can think of right now um and it it kind of folds into what we were just talking about about the like trajectory of a career and looking at a career from a zoomed out perspective and kind of setting your um your milestones um there i forget where i heard this but it was one of those camp situations where the presenter is getting really metaphorical on you and um throwing out all these um really wild um, like offbeat metaphors that you're like, how in the world does that relate to officiating? Um, but it's good. It was good for me to hear in this moment and it applies to life outside of officiating. It applies to anyone who is on any level, um, whether they're just starting or they're X amount of years into scholastic ball or they're X amount of years into college ball. It's a story that, uh, was told by a rabbi. Um, and the, the, the way the story goes is, um, one of the rabbi's students comes to him and says, Hey, um, you know, I, I want to be better than this guy at this. So how do I get to a point where I know that I'm better than that person at that skill or that craft? And the rabbi tells the story. All right. There's two, two people on a ladder, um, or two people each on their own separate ladder and they're both climbing up. And one may be way ahead of the other for a period of time, 
and eventually the other one might catch up to that one, and then that person might get ahead of the other person, and they might change leads a few times. They might pass each other. Um, but if you are going to ask yourself which of those people is better, it's not the one who's higher on the ladder. It's not the one who um, passes the other person on the ladder. It's the person who's still moving. So the way this presenter related that to officiating was do not get into a habit of comparing the place in your career to that of others. Um, don't compare uh, your skill or your um, ability to that of others. Um, just focus on keeping yourself moving up that ladder. So when you're working with someone who you perceive to be better than you, rather than saying, holy crap, he or she is much better and much stronger than I am, look at it with the mindset of, all right, I want to be as good as that person at that. I want to be as good at that person at that. I want to be as good at that person at that. Because what that's going to do is keep you moving up the ladder. Because if that person's way ahead of you and you're still moving, you're doing the right thing. And um, that, like, kind of affected the way I look at a, an officiating career. And it kind of led to what I just told you about how I'm not really looking at a pinnacle. I just want to keep it moving and keep getting better, keep growing schedules, and um, not start to top out and go down the ladder. Wow. I think that's awesome. That's a, yeah. I think that's a good way to, to wrap this up. Uh, and I think that's something that, that everyone can take, take to their game, take to their seasons, take to their ambitions, um, you know, as they try to get better each week. So, uh, John, stay on the line with me when we finish this up. Um, but thank you for coming on. Uh, I, I think that went a lot better and a lot smoother than I thought it was going to. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it definitely helps that, uh, that you're very good at this kind of stuff. Um, so it's much appreciated for you to come on. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll circle back around and maybe have you on again for football or for baseball down the road. Or when you're working, yeah. you know, a huge game on TV, we'll get you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's extremely nice of you to say. I appreciate that. It, uh, it warms my heart. Um, and, yeah, I'm all for doing this again. I, I had a blast for this hour and 20 minutes or whatever it was. So I know you know that we could go for – three, four or five hours. Um, yeah, cause absolutely. we love, we love nerding out on this stuff, but Hey, you know, I, I saw in my first couple of years of basketball, I saw those, those people that I was working with as nerds. We're the nerds now. Yeah, we are the nerds. There's, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> well, thanks again, John. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Joey.